Sing the intro, Ruben. Sing it. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Hey, welcome to the Free Answer Show. This is episode 106. I'm Eric Davis. On our panel today, we have Curtis. Hello. Reuven. Hello there. And then we have a special guest, Stephen Kemper. Hello. So, Stephen, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about what you do, you know, that sort of thing, so we can kind of get an idea. Yeah, sure. As you already said, my name is Stefan. I, I studied physics, worked as an oceanographer for something like five years, and I'm now tested for 12 years now. And at the end of the next month, I'll complete the 10 years of being self-employed. When I realized that when Mandy invited me to the show, I was kind of shocked that I only waited, what, two, maybe three years after leaving university uh, until I started being self-employed. And I'm, I'm still occasionally, I'm pretty surprised by that. Anyway, my business is testing mostly large-ish software or large software systems. And my, well, my most used language is in alphabetical order, are English, German, and Ruby. <laughs> so I assume when you say testing, you're talking about automated testing, correct? Yes. I started testing for a company that produced object-oriented database systems for C++ and, and Java systems, and there was nothing but automated tests. I think like 10,000 pretty different test cases over and over. But I also did manual testing for smaller apps like iPhone apps, Mac desktop clients for various mostly social network things. But the the, the real thing is and the one thing that I'm really into is is testing large systems. I mean, currently it's an it's a German e commerce system which runs on a total of several hundred machines. So there's manual testing involved. Okay, so is it just testing, or is it kind of like the whole QA process that you do? For for my current project, in fact, I am responsible for going live about two times a day. That's what we target. We don't actually make it every day. But yeah, I essentially do the releases to, to the live system. Of course, there's a process behind that. Was running all the automated tests, running some manual testing, checking the occasional, you know, Checking the, the layout, which, which you can't really do very well with, with automated tests, because that's a web application, a web shop. And you want, apart from working well, you also want to, want it to look nice, right? Right. That's where the, 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 um, the manual testing comes in to do with the whole thing of user experience rather than only UI. I think I, th- I saw that on, on Twitter the other day. The difference between UI and UX is explained uh, with a bicycle, and you see uh, the wheels are on it, the gears, uh, the cogs, everything, and that's just the UI. But the happy person riding the bicycle is user experience, and that's that's something you just can't properly test in an automated way, I believe. 
Yeah. Or in my case, the UX is me not able to turn the bicycle and crashed into the wall. But that's a different story. <laughs> I, I, I like yeah, it requires a video. But it's also an experience, right? Oh, yeah, that's one thing it is. So th I get this question because a lot of stuff I do is development, but I do test-driven development. So, you know, the bulk of that includes unit tests, automated tests, and kind of working my way up mm -hmm. to, like, acceptance testing. Um, one kind of concern I get from my clients a lot is why am I spending time testing? Because they're, in a way, paying me to write code, or that's what they're thinking. Why am I writing tests which aren't actually code that runs? I mean, what do you, what do you say to a client that kind of thinks that or has that concern? First of all, I, th I think it's a, it's a valid and, and good question. And it really um, depends on the, how the, the client is involved in the, in the whole development process. Because if he doesn't have some way of testing what you deliver, who will? Right? Right. Probably no one if you don't do it. Actually, that's, that's one question that, that I have. How do you test your own stuff? I mean, is it tested by your clients or customers? as well or do you hire a tester to do it for you or do you just depend on i mean just in air quotes uh depend on the testing that you do which as you said is um, test driven yeah i mean with this client basically when i'd release something you know i tell them like i tested stuff they would go in and manually test it and then i kind of explained to them that you know they did the manual testing because they're also looking for like you said the layout and kind of how things fit together and I told them, like, well, now that you've gone through and tested that and I have automated tests covering that case and other cases, you now don't have to do that layout testing and all that stuff every time. You can only test kind of the new functionality or if there's bugs that are fixed, you only have to test those differences instead of the entire system as a whole, you know, every week we released. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got a client now where uh, we're, we're winding down a uh, an upgrade of a large project from Rails 2 to Rails 3. And the CEO of the company said, so, uh, you know, now that you're done, we'll have our testers work on it. And I said, really? Like, what are your testers going to be doing? And it's not a huge amount of test coverage on the software, but it's a fair amount. He said, oh, I'll send you our QA manual. And it's literally 40 pages of go to this page, click here. Do you see this? Go to the page, another page, click here. Do you see that? I was thinking to myself, I don't think he quite understands the advantage of automated testing here. Because we could take easily two-thirds of this book, if not more. And they could automate it, and then it would always work, and then we wouldn't need to waste everyone's time waiting for these testers to do their thing. Yeah, and I personally, I'm, I'm sad to hear that. A mixture between sad and mildly upset, because that's, for anyone, for any human being, I think that's too boring to do that, you know, the tenth time or even the third time. Maybe it's just me, but I consider that to be terribly boring and totally uh, automatable, and it should be automated, in my opinion. So that testers or developers or layouters or designers can actually test the thing that you can't really automate well, like explore how the whole thing works for a client that should and wants to use it. If it's a shop, just, you know, a customer wants to buy stuff. And also, I think what easily kind of falls off the testing is to discourage users to use your system, those guys who don't want to be on your system, hackers, guys who want to steal your credit card info or user information or what, what have you. You just don't want them on your system. Then you mean like testing for security stuff or like how would you not have them on your system? Yes. 
I mean, a few things that you can do, like, you know, few things probably can be in some way automated or at least monitored, like certain access patterns to your site. But you just, ideally, you don't want those guys on your system. And I think that's an interesting and hard question to, uh, to ask and to answer, um, how to make them go away or not even look at your site or realize it's just too much hassle and try to break into someone else's web application. Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious whether your clients come to you just to do the testing on applications that already exist or systems that already exist, or if uh, your interest in testing is as part of a larger set of development uh, projects that you do or a, any, any development project you do. It's a mixture. A few applications, I mean, most of the applications that I tested already existed when I joined the project. There's just so much, so many greenfield software development projects out there. Most of it is just systems that already run. So I would say 70, 75% already existing systems where testers left the company or where they realize that they have so many bugs in production or other issues that they want to hire someone as soon as possible. And that's usually where I come in. But there are exceptions where just the company realizes that they want to deepen their knowledge about software testing other than the testing that you do in test-driven design, which is not testing really. It's more of a design exercise or software design rather than testing. Right. I guess then many the, the companies with which you work see your added value not just as, you know, I guess one of the ways that you've managed to succeed is not just being, oh, another Ruby on Rails developer, because, you know, they're all, we're all a dime a dozen, but rather you are coming with specific expertise and specific abilities and specific experience that can provably improve their, you know, ROI and improve their software maintainability and stability. Yes. I mean, I, I classify myself as a programming tester, but the main purpose for me on a, on any software project is testing the software, which is providing information to those who make the business decisions to support them to decide whether or not to go live with a certain release or whether to put live certain features of a certain release, because that's, that's not really not my decision. I provide technical information so they have a good basis on which they then can decide whether or not to go live on a certain date or to delay going live. And that's something that one of my clients did. Basically, they had a whole third-party testing team. I don't remember how many people were on it, but you know, they, they verified like the high-level details. And the other big thing they were is they were the people who would basically let a release go out the door. If the testing team said, no, this isn't ready or there's a critical bug, they could hold back a release. And they were also the only, they were like the gatekeepers of the release process. Yeah, I see that. And th- there certainly is a point to that. But I don't feel that testers should be in that position. I've seen a few releases that, that I thought, you know, didn't find any problems. Performance was great. Scalability was great. And still there might have been one reason or other that I didn't know or that I wasn't aware of that was so important to not go live with something 
And still that decision was made. And that could be legal reasons, because your application suddenly, or, you know, laws change, and then you can't put a certain feature live, which has nothing to do with the technical usability or whatever of the feature, but just the changed external situation. Or I would find a pretty, what I consider a blocking bug, which I consider so bad that I wouldn't do the release and so thing has, has been put to production because you want to hit a certain market window. You want to hit the, the, you know, seasons shopping type frame or a dozen other reasons. And actually, I think that's really not none of my business. My business actually is to give a, a very good foundation on technical terms to allow them to make these decisions. And of course, it happened that I said, look, these four defects, which is going to prevent customers from buying stuff or from turning back stuff that they bought and didn't want and they can't send it back for whatever reason. And of course, it happens that based on that decision, product owners made decisions to not go live with a certain feature. And occasionally, I make the decision to not even start testing apart from doing some really some smoke tests and just see the system just break down or not even boot or whatever. And then any decision to go live would just be a bad mistake and on business terms. Okay, so it almost sounds like when you're doing testing, it's not so much that you're, like you're saying, okay, we, we're releasing this. It's more like you're consulting a client and saying, based on my testing, I give you the advice to go live with this or not based on technical reasons or based on what you see. And then let the business kind of figure out, you know, if there's a seasonal release and they're going to be slammed or if there's other reasons they can take your advice into, you know, think about it and decide for them if they actually want to do the release or not. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. Yeah. In most cases, anyway, there have been cases. Actually, it was my first testing job after leaving university where the automatic testing was so advanced for that time. I mean, that was 2001. And the process said, if our tests pass, we will release to the customers. And if one test fails, we won't. In that case, it's just an easy technical decision. Even that could have been automated. But they still wanted someone to press the red or green button to stop a release or just to roll it out. It was just an upgrade or something. And that happens. And currently, I just, I mean, we release to life, as I said, once or twice a day. Occasionally, there's a day where we don't release to life, but essentially, that's my decision because of the whole, pro- the whole process of delivering stuff and how we develop this particular software. It really doesn't matter who makes the decision to go live because there's always clean state that, that can be deployed to, to, to the production system and that provides some value for the customers. Okay, so I have another question. I've had this happen where I work for a company and there's multiple decision makers, like there might be like a CTO and a CEO. And I've had it where the CTO brings me in and in a way wants me to help convince the CEO of the value I bring. And so it's kind of, I come into kind of a political standoffish meeting and I have to kind of demonstrate my value. And for me, you know, I do software development, so it's a little bit easier 
you know, because that's kind of the core thing that they're looking at. Have you ever ran into that kind of experience where you have to kind of convince the company that I'm going to provide you value? There's, you know, documented cases of me providing value for other companies. And how do you actually convince the clients that what you're going to do has value? Especially if, like I said, one side of the company kind of sees you have value and other side doesn't. Wow, that's a very good, very good question. I actually experienced the opposite twice where companies essentially fired all testers all at the same time, uh, day or nearly all of, uh, all of the testers because they figure that testers not only cause costs in, in terms of fixing bugs, but also preventing others from being productive and not providing any value at all. At that point, I, I figured that th- that level of mistake, I would rather make myself and then became self-employed, essentially. And of course, these kinds of decisions are made always and in, in everywhere. But to answer the question, actually, no. I didn't have to defend the value of testing or the value of the know-how that I would provide to the companies because they wanted to hire me, which means they essentially made the decision to hire someone to help them test their systems, and they probably have seen issues of whatever kind they they want to be addressed. Um, that could be customer complaints, that can be support costs, or what have you, or just the desire to, to create really great software, which I think is possible. So you've, you've never had to go into a client and basically convince them that testing is a good thing and an important thing uh, and it's worth the investment? No, not really. I have to say that one contract was first extended for another quarter at one point and then the client decided that I was too expensive and, and cancelled the contract five or ten days after, after extending it, which I didn't find funny, but hey, it's their decision and I'm self-employed because I think I can handle that, and it's, it's their decision. I think it's it's sad. It was a great product. It was a great company. Other than that sad end of the of the contract, and that happens, and that's my business risk, and I'm fine with that decision. When you say that you work with companies, you know, that want to make great software, and so they're interested in testing it and making it more robust. Are these typically high tech companies, large companies, small companies, or have you found that they're all over all, all over the map? Yeah, I think that's a great term. I find they are, all, in fact, all over the map. And actually, I've, I had the, got the, the impression that kind of start-up companies or very high-tech companies may tend to not find testings that valuable because they want to create stuff for their customers, for their clients, and that it needs to be finished as fast as possible. And... Even today, st- people still think that testing just slows things down. And it may in the beginning. But of course, my opinion is that it's well worth it. In fact, in one, um, one conference uh, where I gave a presentation about system testing years ago, at the, at the end of the, the, my, my talk, someone asked, how can we ever start to test our stuff when our CEO explicitly forbids that. Um, I'm afraid I had no good answer to that, other than saying, you know, you do it at your own risk, the testing, but do it. I would do it anyway, 
I think that's part of being a professional software developer. Whether you are more of a programmer or a tester anyway, it doesn't really matter. You need to test your stuff. Right. And that's what I've kind of told my clients over the years is, you know, they'll say like, well, can you like just not rattle these automated tests or just not do as much testing and, you know, save us some money. And I tell them that the only way that I can be as productive as I am is because I test stuff because I don't want to come back in a week and have to spend 30 hours manually testing to make sure stuff didn't break. You know, I, I'll spend a little bit of time up front. And with some of my clients, I told them it's not optional. If they want me not to test, then they're not my client anymore and I'll walk away. Yeah, correct. And I think that's, you expect that from everybody. I mean, you want your medical doctor or, you know, surgeon to wash their hands before they, they examine you or cut you open. That's just good practice. And it's necessary to keep things clean and alive and, and going. And you want your car mechanic to test that your, I don't know, when you re replace the winter tires, you want them to make sure that the, the summer tires are tight and fast. To me, that's just or the, the role of testing in, in software development in, in general. Just keeping things clean and knowing what the risks are. I'm curious to, to know how you find your clients or how your clients find you. Because I've generally had, uh, maybe this is true for Eric too, uh, or you know, I, I'm actually curious about it from Eric also, but in general, when I talk to my clients about testing, I would say at least half of them are almost violently opposed to it, seeing it as, as you guys described, uh, a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Well, most of the times I get contacted through agencies, which I understand that none of you really like or appreciate. For me, it worked out pretty well so far. The occasional exception to that rule were I just a couple of years ago, after the end of a project, I tweeted, look, guys, I'm available for a new project. If you know anyone, and seconds later, got a response, would you mind uh, working in this and that city for this and that company? I went, huh, I studied there. Yes, sure I do. But most of the time, it's really bigger companies looking for a tester, not necessarily me in person, because they probably don't know me. And then they go to the agencies, and they the agencies just know me well enough uh, to know that they better not contact me for uh, Java programming work or programming work in general, but just testing. I'd say most of my clients are okay. Like they'll accept the testing, um, you know, especially after I tell them it's just, it's part of my process. What's more common is I'll have a client that say, yes, we recognize testing's good. We recognize that it's going to make the software better, but we haven't been doing it or we haven't had time to do it. And so it's kind of the thing of like, I come in and I actually have to backfill the tests and kind of get the, the testing stuff kind of up to par. It's like, you know, brushing your teeth. You know, you should brush your teeth and floss, but you don't do it all the time. And the dentist gets on you about it. Yeah, sad but true, but I can't edit any more than that to it. It's just keeping things clean. I mean, I, I'm kind of surprised that I don't find it hard to sell testing to to my customers or clients, but you do. I, I find that very funny in a way. When I was thinking about it, because you said you work with agencies, it could just be if you get work through agencies, maybe the agencies have you know, kind of sold the client on you and your testing skills and all that ahead of time. 
where I, I source most of my clients directly. So they, they're coming to me like either at the idea stage or very early on in the development where, you know, they might have done a prototype just of something quick and rough, but they haven't actually fleshed it out. And so it might be like they, they don't have a process for testing. They don't, most of them don't even have a process to do software development. Like I established that for them. And so maybe that could be part of it is, you know, maybe you're working with more mature companies or maybe they have more stuff flushed out around them and they have already recognized testing and can actually like, yes, we're, we're doing it. That's something we do. Whereas mine, it's not really established. It's not part of who they are yet. Yeah, that's absolutely possible. Even likely, I would say. Uh, most of the my past clients are companies with more than two to 5,000 employees. So not not small businesses anymore in, in any measure. Yeah, and mine, uh, most of mine, I think, are they... They're under a dozen or are just, you know, starting to scale up. They just, you know, went above a dozen, but they're still under a couple hundred easily. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, I had a few clients. In one case, case it was a one person company who was a client, was another one person company who did the programming. And then it was the one guy who was a tester. And that was me. And that was as small as it can get. But most of my projects, the project alone was probably 12 people. And then in many cases, that was just one small, pro- smallish project in, in a large set of dozens or in one or two cases, even hundreds of subsystems, um, for anything that you could imagine. So that setting was really a large company with, I don't know, tens, or tens of millions of, uh, of customers. Yeah, I mean, when, you, when you're at the point where you have tens of millions of customers, it seems to me that you have both the money and the incentive, hugely so, to invest even large amounts of money on testing. Or I would think Absolutely, so yes. Yeah. And still it's seen as a, I think it's still seen as more of a cost rather than an information service or maybe a quality gate, which is a term that I don't fancy really because I, I think I'm not the quality gate. And the, and the teams that I work with, every single person is very aware of his effect on the, on the overall quality of whatever system we are, we are creating or whatever service we are providing. So I can't quality assure software or a product. Because I don't even have the means to, I don't know, persuade colleagues to write better programs. Come to think of it, I, I think that's a silly idea to, you know, to approach someone and say, you need to provide more quality work. Does that make sense? Meaning what? That to say to people, you just need to do a better job is not going to do the job. You need to give them the tools to make that possible. Yeah. I mean, you can provide training or coaching. And there's no way to force people to provide, you know, more beautiful code. If that's not the right they, the way they write code. Maybe it's just me, but I don't have an idea how to push people into, into a certain direction of writing better code. One of my favorite books is, uh, it's probably from about close to 20 years ago. It's called The Machine That Changed the World. And it was about the development of what's called lean manufacturing in Japan, especially by Toyota and the car industry, and how one of the many innovations that they had was to put a string or like a a rope 
next to every single person on the manufacturing floor's workspace. And if you, if you were working there and you saw that something was wrong, you not only could, but you were encouraged to pull the rope and bring the entire assembly line to a halt. And the idea was that, yes, this would call utter, cause utter chaos at the beginning, but that over time, people would see quality as their jobs and as everyone's jobs, and that better to fix things before they get out the door than afterwards. And I have to assume that over time, there were fewer and fewer cases of people actually pulling the rope, but I think the message that it sent was very true. Absolutely. That's really what I, what I think as well, and I think it can work in, in software development just as well. Only I have not yet had the, the chance to work in a software development project that actually does that. I mean, it stops the line. It's simple enough. We find a bug wherever. We stop all work, just fix that bug, write tests for it if possible, and then continue further development of the system. And I think that's a very clever idea because if you do that, not only is it that you create an awareness of how problematic bugs are because it stops everything. I think it's all also a great way to avoid building more functionality based on a certain behavior of a system, which includes bugs, which are then probably very hard to fix because another system or subsystem or component may depend on that particular behavior, which is in a certain situation is considered a bug but then your new feature depends on that bug to work properly. And that's a very bad situation to be in. And I think you can avoid that if you stop the line, fix the bug, and then continue work. Yeah, the, the only problem I could see is, you know, if you stop the line, but you have, say, four developers, you know, you could have three people idle. And I know that's a that's a big kickback I get from some companies where, you know, they, they want their people working and, so it's, it's a hard thing to balance where you, you know, you might stop the line, like, you know, the developer who works in that section or maybe the, the person who introduced a bug, if you can find that out, you know, they stop working on a new feature and working on the, work on the bug and let everyone else work in other areas. But I've ran into cases where that's hard, especially when there's like an, a performance bug where just like the code looks like it works, but when it runs in production, it's just dog slow. And it's like, that's a hard thing because one guy can work on it, but three other of them are just kind of sitting there and they can't really do anything until that person's done. Yeah, that's, I get totally get the point of what you're saying. And that's what I sometimes think as well. But then the guys at Toyota apparently, I mean, they stopped the line and didn't produce any cars until they, you know, the problem was fixed. And I don't see a big difference in, in software development. And probably, I don't know, I have no idea how many people work on a modern car production line. Probably not that, that many people anymore. But still, there must be people going idle when the production line stops and people that maybe can't help resolve the immediate problem. Um, but I think when you start with that, every stop, where you can't help other people, there's always something that you can do. You could add another test case for the system integration test, or you could refactor some code. I mean, there's always something that you can do, not writing or not continuing with a feature, but just making things better, uh, making your CI system more stable or anything really that improves uh, the process of creating value for the customer. 
Yeah, I, I just think that's so difficult. Like that's almost the company culture has to do that. And I know with Toyota and their lean stuff, like that's a big part of it. Because like the example you gave earlier with was it the CEO or CTO where he didn't want people testing because it would slow stuff down. You know, if the if all production code development stopped when a bug was found, I know that kind of CEO would just go crazy. He'd be so mad because you know, you don't need, you guys can keep working on other things and this and that. And I've, I've seen that I've experienced that in the past. So that's why I'm kind of the stop the line idea is interesting, but I just don't know how it would actually work in real life. Like I haven't seen it. And neither have I. As I said, I, I think it could be worth an, a time box experiment just to see how, whether it creates more trouble than it solves. And then if that's the case, well, you know what to do. Yeah, like I've seen something like that work where, you know, like, okay, say the checkout part of the system, there's a bug there. And so all work stops in the checkout part. But, you know, there's other parts of production code that people are working in, you know, to kind of work around that bug while someone's fixing it. Yes, true. And that's, I mean, that's perfectly fine. And I, I mean, that's absolutely the, the right thing to do, I think. If someone were interested in, well, let me divide this question into two parts. If someone were interested in being a better tester in their own software development, or if someone were interested in maybe specializing in testing, what would you suggest that they do you know, if they're interested in freelancing and, and pursuing this as a career? There are a few good courses, and I happen to, I thought after five or six years in testing, I thought not that I know it all, there's always something that you can learn it. But then in the last year, I went to the Association for Software Testing's uh, BBST courses, which is the, the abbreviation for black box software testing. And there are three courses on testing itself. And I found that so valuable to work on a course that actually involves some testing activity, like figuring out or using a certain design, test design technique and learn how that works and apply that to some product and find defects in that product. And I found that very, very helpful. And I think that that could be, I mean, finding bugs and filing bug reports against open source software, for example, is a very good start for a junior tester or even a more or less seasoned tester to show your work, your main work product, which is for testers. Uh, I mean, that's a, for testers, the main product is a bug report. You can show that to the public and say, this is my work. Here's how I write bug reports. And here's the defect I found in that open source system. Um, you can look at it. And I find that to be a very nice idea because most, actually all of my customers have that fear of bug reports becoming public. And I think that's kind of understandable. But for me, that creates a problem that I can't really provide any visibility for my work. So that was one of the nice insights. And I can, I can only recommend these causes. And in fact, I find them so great that I started acting as a volunteer instructor for these causes. And there's where I probably learn at least as much compared to actually taking the course as a student. Okay, so let's go ahead and get into the picks. Curtis, why don't you start? 
This week I picked up a new battery, actually for my phone, my iPhone and my iPad. My old uh, iPhone had a Mophie Juice Pack Air case, which doesn't work with my new 5S. So I actually just got a Mophie Juice Pack Power Station Pro, which is one of the rugged rubberized drop it and drop it in water batteries, which will work for all of my my new 5S. Oh, a few weeks, I guess a few months ago, Eric got a new 5S. Yeah, so the battery will allow me to get a full iPad charge out of there and some extra for my phone when I'm out traveling, which is nice, and it's nice and small and fully rugged, so I don't have to worry about it, say, on my back if uh, I'm when I'm biking. All right, Ruben? So I've got two picks for today, uh, one of which is I'm going to remind people of the book that I mentioned earlier, The Machine That Changed the World. Really, really, uh, I, I don't know or particularly care that much about cars, but I found this uh, and didn't know much about auto manufacturing before I read this book, but I found it to be completely fascinating and it changed my view of manufacturing uh, physical goods in general and just a business in general. And the second thing is I heard mentioned on Starbucks for the Rest of Us this new Chrome plugin called Momentum Dash, the dashboard, that basically you tell it each day uh, or whenever you want, what's the thing that you want to be working on? Uh, what's the one thing you want to be focusing on? And then every time you open a new tab or a new window in Chrome, it gives that to you in your face. So have you been working on such and such? Well, actually, it's not quite that bad. It just reminds you what you're supposed to be working on. And it has some beautiful photography. So uh, I've definitely changed it to be my default Chrome page. And um, I don't know if I've been a lot more productive, but I've been enjoying the photography and feeling like, oh, yeah, I really should be focusing on that and ignoring other things. So there we go. Those are my picks for this week. Okay. Stephen, what do you have? I have two picks. One probably has been picked before, and that's conferences. My tip and my pick is attend conferences at least twice a year, or even better, speak at conferences. The first one is a conference strictly and strongly related to your own profession. I like the Agile testing days for that. I mean, obviously, it's a testing conference. And the other, choose something else. I most of the time choose a programmer-related conference. Could be the Euroco, the European Ruby Conference, or last year I went to the Barcelona Ruby Conference. And the idea behind that is that if you do that, you you also deepen your knowledge in, in your focus field, and but you, you also broaden or widen your knowledge in not so related fields. And I I find that very very important to keep up to date on all kinds of stuff. And I think, I think that's very, very important. And the other pig is a Scottish, I would say, singer and songwriter, and that's Amy MacDonald. Okay. And then I have one pick today. Basically, it's winter in the U.S., and you know where I'm at, it's really hard to get fruits and stuff like that, so we have to get a lot of frozen fruit. And I've been making smoothies for a couple of years now, but I just happened across the recipe the other day. It's really simple. It's actually one orange, um, half a frozen banana, and then just a handful of berries. So I have frozen blueberries, but I think strawberries would work. And surprisingly, it's really good. And I thought like the orange would overpower it, but you can almost not taste the orange. But it's a nice because, you know, you throw it on the, the blender, you have a smoothie. It's like three servings of fruit. And it's really good, and especially in wintertime when it's not around. I, I like having that. So that's my pick today, you know, low-cost movie. Okay, and so with that, the, that's the end of the show. Steven, thanks for coming. Thanks for talking about testing. Hopefully I can use some of this to take to my clients to kind of, you know, show them the value and actually see how important testing is. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Ciao. Take care. Bye-bye. Ciao.